What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, Wings Take Dream. We're talking about the world's most spectacular flyers, from the tiny and nimble hummingbird to the bird with a wingspan longer than any basketball player. We'll discover mammalian gliders and murmurating starlings. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, why is that flying squirrel glowing pink? Is it just bashful? Joining me today is my friend and the Daily Zeitgeist super producer and co-host of Ethnically Ambiguous and the Twitch stream Deckhead's Chief Stews, Anna Hosnier. Hi. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for Welcome having back. me. Uh, thank you. I guess I have, yeah, I have done this show. I did it last time with Shereen, right? That's right. Yeah. I have no memory of a show after I do it. It's just how <laughs> I've, I've, because I've done so many podcasts. I have no memory of anything anymore. That's all right. Like, like a swallow back to San Juan Capistrano. You may not remember being here or know why you're here, but here you are again. Here I am again to talk flight. Yes. The movie Light. with Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've decided to take a bit of a pivot with the pod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, animals are out; nobody cares about them anymore. Nope. But we are going to talk about the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Oh, what a great film! And <laughs> now, know. what did that airplane do? <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't drink and fly an airplane, folks. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. That's a strong opinion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, hot I agree. Yeah, no, we are talking about animal flight. And I got to do a shout out to a listener who uh, sent in a question that inspired this whole episode. Um, I will read their email right now. Hi, Katie. I was listening to the podcast today and finally came up with a question I could send in. So exciting. Here it goes. We know hummingbirds and the adorable hummingbird hawk moth have a gift for hovering. But I noticed some larger songbirds can do it, too, for just a moment. What's the story here? Size and weight obviously play a role, but what about similarly sized birds with the same diet and habitat? Can some of them hover while others have to get by with just boring old flying? 
Why? Please stay the most charmingest host in all of podcast land. Oh, thank you. Ramon. Very nice. That is a great question. And yeah, it's really interesting because when we kind of think about birds flying, it's like, yeah, the birds, they flap their wings and up they go. But actually, there's a lot of differences in how birds fly and the actual physics of like how a hummingbird gets in the air and how a big old vulture gets in the air. It's it's a completely different set of physics. With hummingbirds, they're teeny tiny, little and small. If you have you ever like held a hummingbird, Anna? Oh no, no, no! I don't even. I've seen them up close, like at my hummingbird feeder. I've seen them fight, mm-hmm. but I've never. I don't think I've ever touched one. Yeah, I feel like the only time I've held a hummingbird, it's been dead. Which okay, yeah, it's a little sad. That makes more sense as to how you would have touched it. Right. Yeah. Not look, I didn't I'm not responsible. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but, you okay. know, like, you, you know what? You defend you, you really quickly <laughs> to defend yourself. I don't know about that, Katie. This is how no, I I'm... found it with a tiny knife in its back. And <laughs> oh, a note God. saying Katie did it. I no, will say I... they fight a lot. So if one hummingbird stabbed another in the back, I would not not believe it. Yeah, they're mating. They're mating uh, kind of like the competition between males is so fierce. We're actually going to talk about at the end of the show, the bird that's like the exact opposite when it comes to like the the mating, like hummingbirds joust essentially when they're competing with other males to mate. It's it's very, very uh, brutal, very metal. And uh, another bird, one of the biggest birds in the world is actually very sweet and gentle when it comes to mating. So you can't judge a bird by how cute and small it is. But yeah, they are they are very interesting flyers because they don't kind of do just the like flap, flap, flap thing. They almost vibrate with how fast they're flying. Right. Um, and it's when you're thinking about like how different birds fly, it's sort of like a helicopter versus an airplane when it comes to hummingbirds versus bigger birds. So uh, a helicopter is designed to be able to hover with these really quickly rotating blades that pushes air down and pushes the helicopter up, mm. whereas like a plane basically has to get some forward movement and uses the lift of air passing over and under its wings to keep flying. Oh. Yeah, so kind of a, it's not exactly the same. Birds aren't helicopters. I know like people are like, oh, birds are drones. Lol, memes, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, but no, they're 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 designed differently than a drone. They both do spy on us, but uh, okay. technically slightly different uh, physics going on with uh, hummingbirds uh, or hawk moths. Like uh, the listener pointed out, these these hummingbirds have a evolutionary lookalike called the hummingbird hawk moth, and I've provided you with a picture of. Some a cool example of parallel evolution there. Whoa! What? Where it's a yeah, it's a hum, it's a it's a moth that actually looks exactly like a hummingbird, but it's a moth. We've been lied to. I can't really even understand like what I'm looking at. Like, what is this? Is that its tongue in the front, or it's just got a little yeah. hook? Yeah, it's it's proboscis, which is essentially like a tongue, but on an insect. Does that go back in its mouth? Yeah, yeah, it can. It can be uh, withdrawn and like pulled back in, and that's okay. how it sips nectar. Yeah, got it. Okay, okay, I understand now what I'm looking at. What a surreal looking little guy, because he kind of also looks like he's got like cat eyes. Yeah, and that's what's so interesting is that what looks like a pupil on it, like a cat pupil, is yeah. actually not a pupil at all. Oh, of course, it is. It's compound eyes 
Uh, this occurs in actually a few an- insects like mantises. They look like they have right. a pupil that's like always conveniently looking right at you and you feel like you're being followed like the, the mantises are looking at you. And it's actually when light enters these uh, compound eyes, it actually forms a, a dark spot of where all the light is getting sucked in mm. to to the eyeball. So it's like if you have like a shiny ball and that highlight, it's like light bouncing off of the ball. So you move the ball, but the little highlight part on the ball always seems to kind of like follow you around because that's like from your oh. angle and the angle of light, uh, that's what's shining, reflecting back at you. So you see that highlight. It's just the opposite with a compound insect eye where that's like where the light is being absorbed. So it's a dark spot that follows you around and it looks like it has a pupil and it's watching you, but uh, no, it's not. I mean, it may be watching you. It may have a whole system of surveillance cameras yeah, that yeah. you don't know about, but it's actually not watching you with a little pupil. Got it. Okay. it doesn't have one. Yeah. But yeah, very eerily similar. They have a similar flying style too. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about the the bird aspect of this because I think we're kind of used to insects being able to buzz around and fly really quickly because they're so light. Like if you've ever held a moth, I don't know. You haven't held a hummingbird. You don't seem to like to hold dead things, which is weird to me. But well, um, I've definitely picked up a dead moth and like like I've had like dead moths like within like a space I'm in and I've like picked them up and like taken them outside. But like I've never I I don't understand how you would even touch a movie like a bird or a moth if it was alive because they're just like Mm -hmm. flitting around to get away from you the whole time. Well, I've actually had a sphinx moth, which is very similar to the hawk moth, land on my shirt and refused to go, but it died anyways. So that's a that's a fun. It's like a fun story, like Homeward Bound. Was it like some... panicking, or was it like no, please? I think it was probably just at the end of its life cycle, and oh. it was just like I die here. Here is where I die. <laughs> yeah, interesting. You know what they say? The old saying: If a moth dies on you, it an angel gets its wings, right? <laughs> That is actually, yeah, I have a, a wood plank that says that over in oh, my that's kitchen. Tacky. That's, that's tacky. <laughs> How <itself>. dare you? <laughs> that is a classic saying. Live, laugh, and let moths die on your shirt. This yeah. is good luck. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, so these smaller the bird, basically, in answer to Ramon's question, when you have a smaller bird, Typically speaking, the faster its metabolism is and the faster it can fly. So you do see a lot of small birds similar to the hummingbird uh, that do, are able to at some extent do this kind of like flying hovering move. Not as well as the hummingbird can because the hummingbird has physically evolved to specialize in extremely rapid wing beats and extremely precise hovering. So Depending on the species, hummingbirds can beat their wings from 10 to 80 times a second. So the speed of the wings typically follows the size of the hummingbirds. The bigger the hummingbird, the slower its wing beat, uh, relatively, because it's still really, really fast. But uh, giant hummingbirds who weigh in about 20 grams are the slowest with 10 to 15 beats a second. And the amethyst wood star, a tiny hummingbird that weighs only 3 grams, beats its wings at about 80 beats a second, which I can't even think that fast. No. I can't even, like, it's, it hurts to think about. Like, I try to think about, like, actually doing that, and it hurts my brain because I can't put that many thoughts about bird wings in one second. Well, one, it's 
it's with that purple or that amethyst color, that like magenta color on its neck is the most beautiful color I've ever seen. It's so vibrant. Yeah, yeah. They have these like, like a lot of birds, they have these micro structures in their wings that refract light that makes it so bright and iridescent. Yeah. It's, it's be- it, it looks like jewels. Um, yeah. probably in part because like with jewels, like that's also has to do with like how light is refracting in the jewel. And so like, you know, they're, they've got jewels for wings. Also the name Am- Amethyst Woodstar. That's, I feel like I that's like, if I went to like Malibu, I would name, I would meet someone named that. I'm Amethyst Woodstar. Would Beautiful. you like to try some of my essential oils? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amethyst. Oh. I just like to use oils for my feminine flow, Anna. Would you like to join me? If your name is Amethyst Woodstar, I will do anything you say. <laughs> here's the new here's the new product. It's made out of starfish tears and oh. um octopus buttholes. Oh my god, it sounds like uh it will work. <laughs> anything obscure like octopus buttholes, I'm like, well, they I mean, why else would they be grabbing you know octopus buttholes unless it actually works right right the weirder the ingredient it's like this must it must work because they wouldn't go to the trouble surely of course not um yeah no i i would definitely someone names amethyst woodstar is like you know try octopus buttholes seriously it'll work it's like no i'm in i'm in Mm -hmm. i'm all in yeah so they are in addition to being absolutely gorgeous just can beat their wings at a ridiculous speed which allows them to be able to hover in air if you've ever seen a hummingbird up close they can like stop in midair and just like stay there stationary staring at you uh which is really like if you ever want to wear a hat made out of hummingbird feeders like some some guy i remember reading a story about he created a hat that was essentially a hummingbird feeder so he could sit down and watch hummingbirds come up to his face while they like (sighs) had sips of nectar and that that seems like the life i want a hummingbird feeder they would hover like right here yes yeah right in front of his eyes that's pretty cool yeah not opposed to that yeah so what's interesting is these wing beats are the way that the hummingbird is shaped really influences how it uses physics to keep it afloat so the twisting it has these twisting downstrokes uh, which create lift, uh, and the upstrokes also keep the bird afloat. Because usually, when a bird flaps its wings, like the downstroke pushes it up, and then the upstroke doesn't really help it because hmm. it's like you're not pushing down on the air; you're just like lifting your wings back up. But the hummingbird, because of this like twisting motion of its wings at sort of a, a, a rotated angle, the upstroke actually cuts through the air in such a way that it creates these small air vortices, like vortexes uh, that act like tiny tornadoes. uh, And through some physics that I don't quite understand, like creates kind of a vacuum that that gives the bird even more lift. So it's like getting double duty with like pushing up on the downstroke and then also creating some kind of weird uh, wing tornado with the upstroke. A vortices is the coolest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's just the plural of vortex. I know, but Latin. I've never even thought of that before. But that's like <laughs> a vortices. Like I remember when I went to Sedona and everyone's like, you've got to find the energy vortexes. And I was like, that's just the concept of a vortex is very cool to me. And now that there's vortices. 
Yeah, I'm into that it. does sound like something that Amethyst Woodstar would say, right? Oh like God. you gotta find the energy vortices. She knows where can, they all are. But you can definitely get with this octopus butthole. Trust me. <laughs> Let the octopus butthole lead you to the vortices. <laughs> Open your mind to the octopus butthole. That weird tingling, numb feeling you're feeling in your fingers, that's just it working. That's the vortices. <laughs> so their wings are also very stiff and don't bend in the same way that other birds' wings do, so that it, it allows them to do these really fast beats. Because uh, if they're bending, mm. they just it, it won't work in the same way in creating these, like slicing through the air like a blade. Right. And so it allows them this ability oh. to hover unlike any other bird. And larger birds typically can't hover at all. Uh, the largest, one of the largest birds that can hover uh, does it in a much different way. So kestrels uh, are a small raptor, so a small bird of prey, like a hawk or an eagle or something, will take advantage of strong updrafts to hover in one place. So they'll find a windy spot and face opposite the wind direction and adjust their wings. So basically, they just become like a bird kite. Uh, and this allows them to stay in one spot to look out for prey. But this is all about them being able to use available wind currents to stay afloat. They can't beat their wings fast enough to like hover by using wing beats. Wow. So a wind kite or a, it's like a wing kite. A wind kite. It's the same thing. <laughs> a, so Bird kite. Yeah, Just that's tie a string to them, and you got yourself a cool new toy. Everybody, don't do that. I never really understood the physicality of that, but now that you're like describing it in detail, like they're so interesting. We need more yeah. hummingbirds. Let's just we add need more, more birds. hummingbirds. We know we need more hummingbirds specifically. All oh, right, yeah, hovering no, around. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if you live in an area where you get hummingbirds, you can get certain plants in your garden or on your balcony that attract hummingbirds. You can also get uh, hummingbird feeders mm -hmm. that will attract hummingbirds in certain like, I think you can also get like little wet, wet stone things that like just have little pools of water that they like to drink from. There's definitely ways you can manipulate hummingbirds to come to your home. Oh, and you yeah. can get a bunch of them there. So, you can wear a hat, a hummingbird feeder hat. A hummingbird feeder hat. I wonder if they sell those. I'm gonna Google it. Hummingbird I'm sure they do. Bird feeder hat, safe search off. Check it out. You can get it in 20 seconds from Amazon. Oh, lots of people have done this. But can I buy one or do I have to make it on my own? Okay. Well, there's handheld hummingbird feeders, but I don't think that's as stylish as an actual hat. Like they, oh, there's a red humming, red hummer ring feeder. So you can wear it as a ring. I saw that. Right. But I want a full on hat though is the thing. Yeah, it looks wear like on my head. you'll have to make one yourself. Yeah, maybe like they can't make them because then if like a hummingbird like knocks your eyeball out thinking your eye is delicious nectar, then they'd get sued. But <laughs> there uh, is, I just looked it up as well. Under Good Living Guide, there's this article that says hummingbird feeder hat provides a fantastic bird watching experience. Oh, do they have instructions how to make it? Well, they have... There apparently there's a many options on how to make like I I Google imaged it and there's so many different versions of it. Oh, yeah. There's different styles for like what kind of hats you want to wear. Like you want to have a just a casual baseball hat. This guy's got it. He's just yeah. got like a like an apparatus attached to his baseball hat with little hummingbird feeders. But oh, and she the lady down here has got like a 
sun hat with feeders attached to it and a bunch of flowers. So you can like dress it up, dress it down. A lot of people have thought about this. They have. And I congratulate them for their ingenuity. Yeah. I want to do like one of those hats they wear to like horse races you know what i'm talking about the oh you really... like a fat a fasten what are they called the fastener no fascinators fascinators there you go but the big the big ones like the yeah. really big ones that look like like a getty museum on your head like mm. that d- defy physics but then with a bunch of flowers and and hummingbird feeders attached to it and heck why not just some bird seed on the top you know get, just really get some, go for it a little cup of peanuts so the squirrels can get in there. Yeah, just, you know, it's a big, just a big hat with a bunch of food. A hot dog on it. Let the, let the seagulls come in and join. I don't care. Oh, Mike, you're going to die if you put hot dogs on your hat. People are going to come for you. Or mm. people, birds are going to come for you. Birds people. are going to come for me People as well. Baseball people, lovers. <laughs> bird people, right. Yeah. yeah, no, I know. It's a risky thing to do. But I just want to be able to see a baseball lover up close. You know? I, yeah, it's great for baseball lover watching. okay so speaking of gliding the way that um kestrels float in the air it's interesting because you go from the hummingbirds who have perfected the art of perfect hovering and perfectly precise flying mammals are not as are not as great at that with the exception of bats who are Amazing flyers, actually quite quite good flyers, quite uh, surprisingly efficient. Our our other attempts at flight as as mammals have been more of a kind of like just jump and let Jesus take the wheel. So okay, we actually last episode we talked about convergent evolution, and I didn't have time to talk about these guys, but I think they're really cool, so I couldn't resist mentioning them on the flying episode. So flying squirrels. Sugar gliders and colugos are three entirely different species of gliding mammals who all look like they should be cousins, but they're not. It's an example of parallel evolution. So flying squirrels are a rodent in the squirrel family found in North America and Eurasia. And they are, they basically are squirrel, but you stretch out the skin so that it's like a squirrel napkin. And then they can fly through by using these folds of skin that stretch from their forelimb ankles to their hindlimb ankles. And this is called a patagium, the membrane of skin uh, connecting their limbs. And that oh. allows them to glide. And this patagium has evolved separately. And at least two other uh, animals. So the sugar glider, who is not a rodent, it is a marsupial in the possum family found in Australia, New Guinea, and Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it looks a lot like a flying squirrel. Yeah, I can't really tell the difference other than they have stripes on their head. Yeah, and a little pink nosy. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, they, they really do look like they should be the same animal, but they're not. In fact, they're not even in the same uh, same group of animals. They're, they're completely different. The flying squirrels are rodents and the sugar gliders are marsupials on wow. a completely different continent. There's such a freedom into just jumping and opening up your arms and body and letting yourself just glide on down. I know. Have you seen those videos of people in squirrel suits? 
Like, oh yeah, of course. There's there those um, it's like if if jumping out of an airplane and using a parachute isn't like scary enough for you for some mm. reason, there's a suit you can wear where it's you have. I guess parachute material that runs from your front arms to your back legs. Yeah. And you basically become a flying squirrel and you jump off a cliff and then just like <sighs> zoom downwards. It's not safe. No. It's highly dangerous. A lot of people die doing it. So it's not like, oh yeah, we've we've figured out how to make humans fly. It's like, yeah, maybe like 70% of the time. <laughs> And then, and then there's a big chunk of times that it doesn't really work out well. So, but yeah, watching someone do that does something like it makes my butt like pucker inwards. I'm not really sure. It's like this feeling of free falling in a dream where all of your insides start to like shrivel up. Yeah. Like you just ate a lemon with your butt or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm talking about. No, I know. It's, it's. Everything about it makes you want to like crawl into a ball. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. it's I could uh, never. I could. I could never. No, it's. I. I can't conceive of doing that. But yeah, I mean these these little animals do it all the time, and they're perfectly happy to. And then the the uh, other other species are colugos, which are flying mammals found in Southeast Asia. And while they look like they should be related to sugar gliders or flying squirrels they are actually more closely related to primates so yeah yeah they are while they are not primates they share a common ancestor with primates uh probably their closer relatives are things like lemurs um but yeah okay uh, a slight difference between them and sugar gliders and flying squirrels is that their undersides aren't as furry so it looks a lot more horrifying from from their their bellies because they look. Oh yeah, they, they look mo- they look more like a bat kind of. Yeah, like a bat, but with weird wings that just stretches over its whole body. So right. it definitely looks like a cryptid from underneath. Uh, but when you look at the whole animal, like from the top, they're very cute. They're they're very fuzzy and cute. They do look a little bit like if you flat rolled out a lemur with a rolling pin and gave it oh. weird wings. Rolled it out. That's funny. <laughs> okay. I it's weird that they're not related, but okay. Yeah. Well, you'll just have to I take my word on it. This uh, you know, species thing. Okay. Because <laughs> to <laughs> I me don't they all in look species. They all look the same. So if mm-hmm. you're gonna tell me they're not even in the same family. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, I know. It's uh yeah, sometimes like Mother Nature just pulls a prank on us. It's like you think this animal is the same as this animal? Nobody. It's not even on the same continent. Uh, oh, such weird it's so funny to me how to like we just keep evolving similar things like uh eh, just take like a mouse and like squish it so it floats like a frisbee. I mean I feel like this is like a great example of evolution of like they just all needed this so they evolved to have it in their different spaces because they're not technically connected but like in whatever world or whatever environment they live in they just were like well i need to i need to be gliding so i'm gonna need to evolve into a glider yeah look i need to i need to be more like a kite uh because i've been (laughs) jumping off these trees and let me tell you when you hit the ground that is not fun i need to be more Uh, like a kite (laughs) I wish I could just think that as a person. I'm like, I really, I need to be more like a kite and then it would happen. Yeah, I know. I mean, like that's, I guess that's what people thought when they developed the squirrel suit. 
that mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and they wore that and you know some of them at least survive when they do that yeah oof well they I mean but there's never been like Red a Bull, human... it's like Red Bull evolved them <laughs> Red you Bull know? Red Bull gives you it's wings. probably like Red Bull sponsored squirrel suit doesn't that right. seem like it just feels like something Red Bull will be like and we also just jump off mountains with squirrel suits and you're like oh my <laughs> gosh okay did you ever like watch those commercials as a kid and think, well, maybe, maybe if I drink it and like jump off, you know, the balcony, I could actually fly. I wonder Cause if I was, was definitely dumb enough to have that thought occur to me. Yeah. As a kid. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I also did the thing where it's like, I took like a blanket and tried to make up my own parachute and like would jump Ooh. off. Not, not too, not high heights. Because I was smart enough to know that I would get really hurt if I did that. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely did try to kind of do human uh, human squirrel action, flying squirrel action. And it never worked. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a tech behind it that either you have to evolve your body into or Red Bull has mm-hmm. to build for you. <laughs> I'm really convinced Red Bull is making these suits. <laughs> I, I I think I'd be okay with like uh just big flaps of skin if it meant I could fly, you know? Oh, for sure. Like I if you could tuck them in somehow, like fold them up uh when you're not when they're not in use, but yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Folding them up when they're not in use. <laughs> I have pockets <laughs> I mean, for that's, that. That's how that's how these ones, like when you look at them when they're not flying, not gliding, uh they they look pretty pretty cute and like poofy and fluffy but it just turns out that they can like transform her into like a, a flying napkin yeah we're gonna take a quick break and then when we get back we are going to talk about murmurations which is not just me mumbling into the microphone and not doing good podcasting it's something else and it's really cool so we will be right back trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Anna, have you ever seen a bird murmuration? Oh, you want me to lie? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've never. Me? 
Of course, I'm... <laughs> I love murmurations. I, I mean, God, the murmuration of 1984, it was amazing. No one yep. can forget that murmuration. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> uh, well, bird murmurations are basically when you have a giant flock of birds all flying in unison. They will form these mind-bending patterns in the air. And I've actually included for you a video of some really amazing starling murmurations, if you want to check that out. I think I have seen video of this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen this in person, though. Yeah, I've never seen bird murmurations in person because I don't... I've never lived anywhere where there are, like, huge migratory flocks of starlings. It looks like there's, like... Oh, God, it looks like they'd kill you if they came through you. <laughs> well, yeah, if they if they, like, flew right through you, I think you would die, right? Wow, that's so cool. It's so mesmerizing to look at. It's almost yeah. like uh, visual therapy where you're just taking it in and letting your mind shut off. Yeah, it is. It's uh, kind of almost hypnotic, like like the uh, a hypnotic sort of psychotropic patterns that these birds are managing. So you'll look in the sky and you'll see what looks like kind of a spotty black cloud. And it's all made out of a huge flock of birds. And as they turn directions and fly, there's like patterns that like form through them, like waves of darker bands. And like as they turn, like it, it ch changes shapes, but you can actually see like a, a wave of like dark color, like move through yeah. it as they all simultaneously shift directions. And it's beautiful and kind of intimidating too. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, when it's like you're you're in awe of something, something is awesome, like the yeah. true meaning of the word awesome. It's like I'm actually in awe when I see this because it's so big yeah. and it's like this big blob moving in the sky. I think if I had never seen this before and didn't know what it was, I would think it was aliens. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Also, like in that movie, um, The Crudes. Oh, yeah. They they have those like whatever when they get to that weird land, they have those creatures or like it looks like that the starlings flying all together. But then they just come through and like eat a giant like creature like a a rhino or something by just like going by it. And then all that's left or they come and like take it over. And then all that's left is just its bones. Right. That's what I think I, about. Yeah. Was this the Crudes one or the Crudes two? I think two. OK. Crudes <laughs> two back in action. Yeah, I've only I only saw the Crudes one, I think, on a on an airplane. So my memory is a little hazy of the Crudes uh, adventures. But fortunately, starlings do not eat flesh. So you're not actually in danger when you see one of these murmurations unless you're under it. Then you might get pooped on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so murmurations, while also looking like amazing works of art in the sky that are kind of unbelievable. They are really interesting from a scientific perspective, from a physics and from animal behavior perspective. So murmurations are patterns that occur when you see flocks of thousands of birds all flying. Uh, it's similar to like a school of fish, you know, when you see a school of fish and then they, they have those like waves of weird, it looks like a wave of a shiny color or a dark band moving through it because the fish are all turning at the same time. It's right. like that, but in the sky. 
Uh, this typically happens during mass migration of European starlings. So starlings are a bird that it's a little smaller than a pigeon. It's actually really beautiful, in my opinion. It's got this dark purple yeah. iridescent color. It's like purpley black. It's got like black yeah. feathers that can like iridesce. It, it looks like an oil slick or something mm -hmm. where when you when the light shifts, it can like turn kind of purpley, kind of green. I was going to say it would be cool because I was looking at the photo. Like if you could see those colors within the murmur or whatever that I is. I know. Like, I know. That would be cool. I don't know if you can. I think they're too... They're too probably too far away for right. those two colors to really register. But yeah, I, I don't since I've never actually seen one in person. I've only seen distant uh, videos of them. I I don't know if you can. Yeah, they, they are individually quite beautiful too. They also they're called starlings because they have these little speckles. Uh, I, I think it's because of the little white speckles on them that looks like stars. So they will gather in the hundreds of thousands during their migration south. Uh, throughout Europe. So there can be over 700,000 individuals in a single flock of European starlings. So the question of, well, why do these murmurations occur is actually more mysterious and complicated than it seems when you first think about it. Uh, because they spend sometimes 45 minutes in the sky just forming these complex patterns as they move in unison. And so... Uh, the purpose of this is not really well understood, even among ornithologists, uh, which is like someone who studies birds, the, the bird whispers. Um, but uh, so they're, like when you think about it, it's like, OK, well, large flocks are protective, right? Like if mm -hmm. you're a bird, you want to be in a big flock. So it makes sense why there's a big group of them. Uh, and by uh, clustering with a bunch of other birds, you lessen the chance of being preyed upon. So it kind of makes sense that they would move in this big group. So that part may be not so mysterious. But why? how are they forming such complex patterns uh, yeah. and how are they doing it? And how do they know like which direction they're supposed to go? Exactly, exactly. So that's a big question. And that part of it has actually been somewhat answered by research. So... In Italy, in Piazza dei Cinquecento, a uh, University of Rome physicists led by Andrea Cavagna and Irene Giardina uh, have been studying starling murmurations for nearly two decades. So these are physicists interested in it. Okay. They set up multiple cameras to gather 3D data on starling flocks. So starling populations in the area of Rome has increased to be in the millions, millions during migration. So they set up this mass starling surveillance operation, like a bird ice cream van. Don't worry about it, birds. Just some normal bird ice cream. So they used all this camera data to create a computer model of the starling flocking behavior. So basically like taking in all this information they got from all these cameras and then turned it into a computer program through computer magic and were able to basically say like, well, okay, figure out how they're managing to do this. And so last episode, we actually talked about something called the game of life, which is this old timey computer game where you would just put in a few simple rules for each like pixel on the screen and it would create like this 
amazing complexity from a few rules of pixels forming patterns. And it's pretty similar here because what these researchers found is that each starling positions itself depending on the its seven um, closest neighbors. So it basically tries to get in the center okay. of like its seven closest neighbors and be kind of equally distant from each of them. So uh, it's kind of like when you're driving on the freeway, like you don't base your position on the freeway on a bunch of drivers right. way far away that you can't see. You just look at your the people in front of you, next to you and behind you. And if you're a good driver, you try to like maintain sort of a, an equal distance, like buffer around you. Like a like, chain reaction, literally. Like Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So if one starling changes direction on the other side of the flock, that information quickly transmits to starlings that can't even see that bird because they're all b very quickly reacting to their seven closest neighbors. In fact, they're so quick uh, that a bird on the edge of a flock can change its direction, causing a flock of hundreds of birds to all move in less than half a second. So information like per hundred of birds, like, travels in less than half a second, which is pretty good. Oh. Better than my internet, for sure. I think we need bird internet, right? Yeah, I. if it's that quick, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. They should Time just be Warner. in charge of our internet. Yeah, like Spectrum, the worst. Birds, yeah. let's do this. Bird internet. It's got to happen. They promised us fiber optics. We didn't get it. They promised us uh, Google Fiber. We didn't get it. Mm -mm. I'm pitting my hopes on bird internet. You I know what? So. I don't, I mean, there's nothing birds could do to us that Spectrum hasn't already done to us, to be honest. Bur bird fiber. Right. Like, I'd rather be pooped on by a bunch of birds than deal with, with Spectrum internet. Anyways, this thus concludes our internet roasting section of the podcast. <laughs> that was pretty good. We did pretty well. Internet. Am I right, you guys? So many problems. Always too slow. Zing. Got him. Speaking truth to power. All right. But back to the birds. That's how they do that. That's how they do these incredible murmurations. And um, but the question still remains of like, why are they doing this? So one potentially obvious answer would be that like, oh, well, it's protective by doing these these movements, these coordinated movements, it's intimidating mm -hmm. to predators because it gives the predators a sense that this is a much bigger organism or it confuses the predators about like where where it's going or what it's doing. And this is actually behavior that bees will do. So a hive of bees will sometimes all come outside the hive and like sit on the hive and then all flick their wings in in uh, like in a wave, like synchronously in synchronization and this creates what looks like these concentric waves of dark bands of color just like moving yeah. through the hive. So it, it looks like like a bullseye that's like constantly expanding and contracting. And it's really mesmerizing. It looks wow. like, like you're being hypnotized by the bees and it's mesmerizing. And it makes potential predators like wasps or birds... Uh, that might otherwise try to like attack the the hive, like it, it, it intimidates them and it, it confuses them and it makes them not want to approach. So that's the thought of like, well, maybe this is what murmurations do. They basically scare off predators from the area or confuse them so that they give up. But one of the problems with this theory is that murmurations last so long that 
researchers and, and animal behavioral experts think that that it doesn't quite explain like, well, why would they be out so long? Because if you're trying to ward off predators, going back to like a roosting area is the safest place to be. So why are you spending all of this time out in the open doing this behavior that even though it may kind of help intimidate some predators, there's definitely a chance that like a peregrine falcon is going to come in and get some unlucky guy who's like on the edge of the flocks. Have they thought maybe they're just kind of like having fun? That's actually exactly what they've thought. That's a really good point. So the last one of the more recent theories about it is that they're just kind of having fun. Yeah. Uh, so starlings are actually highly intelligent. They are one of the types of birds that can figure out puzzles. They actually oh. can mimic human voices similar to a parrot. So they, they can talk. They might not oh. know exactly what they're saying, but they can definitely talk. They are sometimes a nuisance in some areas because they can figure out how to open things. So like oh. they can figure out how to open milk bottles. So if you get milk delivered to your door, they can get into that <laughs> milk and drink the milk. Wow. So they're highly intelligent. And we know the more intelligent an animal is, the more enrichment and play that they crave. So uh it may be that they are all essentially dancing with each other. It could be a form of social engagement that is both fun to do and also reinforces these social bonds in a big flock of individuals who might otherwise struggle to feel a connection with the bigger flock. So, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're exactly right that this is uh, potentially the reason. They're just having fun. Good which, time. I love whenever we're trying to figure out some kind of weird animal behavior and then someone's just like, well, maybe they're just farting around, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I would be doing. Me and my homies were like, let's go just murmur around. It'll be cool. Yeah. Okay. Murmurate. Get a little high. Do a little murmuring. (laughs) Do some murmurations. Yeah. I want to once I'm so excited about to get my second dose of the vaccine. I want to murmurate. Mm-hmm. Once once we're out of quarantine, let's all murmurate. Let's all murmurate. You want to, okay, let's let's find a find a place, find time, and let's all get together and murmurate. I like I like <laughs> the idea of murmurating because it doesn't really like sound like what you think it is. Right. We're all just out here murmurating. <laughs> it again sounds like something that Amethyst Woodstar is like trying to be like, hi, so we're gonna meet up at the beach and mm-hmm. we're gonna have our octopus buttholes with us and we're gonna murmurate. We're going to murmurate. We're going to murmurate for 45 minutes and really open our consciousness up. I'm actually taking a murmurate, a murmuration class with Amethyst <laughs> Woodstar teaching it. So right, right. It was hard to get into, waitlisted for years. I know, I know. But it, the frustrating thing is she's always trying to like sell you stuff like Jade. <laughs> I shouldn't say. And that. I've bought them all. <laughs> I can't stop. She's just so convincing. <laughs> It's the soft tone she's speaking. I know. In. She's just softly saying, now we're now we're gonna murmurate and I want you to spend five minutes with your dead octopus and we'll murmurate together. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Anna... What do you know about albatrosses? Um, that that's not the fish? It's not a fish. It's a bird. Is it a type of fish, too? No. Huh. Hang on. Now you've got me wondering. Albatross? <laughs> oh, fish. oh, no, I'm thinking of albacore. Albacore. Oh, yeah. wait a second. Is there albatross fish as well? Albatross fish. I googled albatross fish and nope. That's just the name of a company. Okay, then I'm definitely thinking of albacore, right? Yeah, I think you're thinking of albacore. I don't know of any fish called an albatross fish. Yeah, I'm thinking of albacore. Albacore, yeah. No, albatross is a bird. Albacore is a type of tuna. Got it. And a manticore is like a lion, a flying lion demon. Flying, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> flying flying lion, de- a manticore? Isn't that like a lion with a scorpion tail? Manticore. I've never even, ho- I've never even heard, of, heard of that. Heard of heard that. Of it. Yeah, oh. it's a flying lion with a scorpion tail oh. and a, a human face is a manticore. Oh, oh, this is the, uh, um, it's from, it's, I think of it as like a sphinx. Oh, but right. Like not really a sphinx. It's a. Uh, but it's this like is a like, male. Yeah, this is from. typically. Iranian Lady. culture, actually, we have these oh, really? like on our. Um, there's like, that's we. I've never known it was called a manticore. Maybe I think of it as like, yeah, it's like a mythical Persian creature. Wow, I've never even known that it was called a manticore. Hmm. News to me. Uh, yeah, that's, that is cool. What's like? What are the myths surrounding it? Uh, it's like you can't conquer it. Basically, I don't know. It's like nice. this. It's apparently like the strongest creature mythical creature that there I mean is. it is it is a lion with a scorpion tail and it can fly so I believe it yeah it's uh well this thing I only know like what it's called in Farsi because I've legitimately like never spoken about this thing what what is it called in Farsi it's like a <laughs> I it's like a madia like something like that like mm-hmm. a it's very similar, actually. Now that I'm like saying it and thinking about it, it makes sense that it's a manticore because it's like, how so it's like man person to, or like mm. a human. 
I honestly, I don't know how to translate. I'm not very good at like translating certain things from Farsi to English because I just like don't know the roots and stuff. Right. Because I'm not like, I didn't take Farsi in school. I'm just learned it speaking growing up in my family and like speaking right. kind of more of a slang Farsi. Um, I mean, I don't mean to like be like, now suddenly be an etymology scholar. It's mad the, the whore, but like, I don't understand why it's like man who, man who eats or something like that. Oh, man eater. I, I just Googled actually man manticore etymology and it's the same thing for manticore. It's man, it's uh, from the Greek uh, manticorus. Uh, uh, from an oh no, and actually corrupt reading in Aristotle for Martichorus, uh, which is from an old Persian word meaning man eater. So the Greeks okay. actually got it from the Middle East. Okay, that makes sense because to me it, it literally madhor means literally like man. Uh, I guess it makes sense, man eater. I, I couldn't yeah. connect that in my mind though. In the moment when you asked me, I was like, a man to eat? What could that be? <laughs> obviously, man eater. That makes that's so obviously in front of me. A but man I, you can eat. I didn't make no, that. We all wish we had that, folks. Madhor. That's the Farsi yeah. saying of it. But manticore now, it all makes sense. Wow. And that and that's a, an, an English word for it, manticore, comes from from the Greek word, which in turn comes from the old Persian word. So like it's just an, a big big circle. Yeah. Wow. Comes full Weird. circle. So we got so. from to Manticore because we started at Albatross and then we went to Albacore and then we went to Manticore. Yeah. So let's back it up to Albatross. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of more myths and legends, uh, I want to talk about how the expression an albatross around your neck comes from. Have you heard that like expression? It's not used as much, I think nowadays but there's like this expression like oh it's like an albatross around my neck or this thing is a real albatross around my neck no i've never heard that god you're making me feel like an old person <laughs> i literally like katie me and my friends don't talk about these kinds of things <laughs> <laughs> but it's like i mean to be fair i guess i never really heard it in real life growing up it's just a uh, an express an expression i guess that used to be used more often than it is now oh, well you know the other thing is i was raised by persian immigrants so like i don't know a lot of like classic american sayings or anything right. like that because my parents don't they don't say that kind of stuff you know they're just they yeah. have their own i know like a lot of weird persian sayings where i'm like <laughs> what does that even mean you know because it doesn't translate yeah. correctly to english but like i uh, american sayings and stuff like that are actually a, a big blind spot of mine i just don't know this no might one's be ever more said of it. a might even be more of a british thing than American because oh, I've only go. ever seen it like in I've only ever I think seen it British people use it uh, I've never heard it like I never heard it growing up I've never okay. heard it used in like you know maybe like in a New York Times article I've seen it but they're ridiculous people yeah right for the New York Times oh yeah but yeah the the legend behind the saying is actually really interesting so even if you've never heard the term an albatross across around your neck uh, where it comes from is ridiculous. So it's actually uh, so an albatross around your neck. Just uh, for for people who are younger than me or don't read the same weird old books or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's a burden you are forced to be responsible for. So like you know, I don't know an example like ah uh, this car is broken down. So it's like an albatross. It's an albatross around my neck or. Uh, it's like yeah. a, it's like something that's like holding you down when it doesn't necessarily need to be. It's like a, a 
a useless almost yeah inconvenience but you're but you're still responsible for it so you have to deal with it mm. but it's actually from a poem in the late 18th century written by Samuel Taylor Coolidge uh, called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> and so it's like, when I say poem, it's one of those old poems where they're like, I'm going to write a book-sized poems. Uh, it's it's not like uh, one of our modern short poems where it's like, you know, hey there, boss, here's an albatross, and it makes me cross. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> I don't know, like, if you're like, write a poem about an albatross, I'm like, albatross, man, I'm I'm cross about this albatross, hmm. but I'm the boss, I'm the boss of the albatross, but no, this was a, this is an old-timey poem that's like 30 pages long, so I didn't read it, I'm gonna say that, uh, but I did read the spark notes for it, and now I'm going to give you a summary of the spark notes of this 30-page long poem. So basically, there's like a superstition that killing an albatross at sea brings bad luck. And I don't really, I don't know where that superstition started from. I think it's like albatrosses are supposed to be like related to wind spirits or something. Like Hmm. they're, they're good wind spirits. And if you kill one, you'll piss off the wind spirits, which is bad if you're a sailor. But in this poem uh, written by this old English dude, uh, one of the sailors does kill an albatross because no. that's, you know, just like, well, I'm going to kill the albatross. And this causes angry spirits to push their ship into the equator where no. it becomes uh, bestilled, which basically the, the winds stop and <gasps> the ship is just stuck in there. And so they're all uh, uh, going to starve and uh, thirst to death. Uh, is that a real I, thing? That you bestilled? could get or, No, no, it's be- becalmed. Sorry, it's called becalmed. But is that yeah, a real like thing if, that could happen? Yeah, if uh, back in the old times, like if you had a ship that runs entirely on wind power and the winds stop, mm. you're kind of screwed if the winds don't start back up again. What about paddling? Can you get, get your paddles out or is the boat? Uh, it's a big boat, pretty big boat. I mean, Ooh. the Vikings did do paddling with their big boats because yeah. uh, they would like enslave people and make them man all the paddles. But right. Uh, I don't I think like if you're in like a you know like like 18th century uh, uh, boat and you just got those big sails and there's no wind you're you're kind of doomed um, oh my God. It's my but uh, so yeah so like all the other sailors blames the bird murderer uh, for causing this to happen and as punishment they force him to wear the dead albatross around his neck since now they're all going to die of thirst and they're mad at him. And it's like, this is your fault. Now you have to wear this albatross. Wow, that's that's very Bjork. Yeah, didn't she wear a swan Mm -hmm. or something? Same thing, because the neck went around her neck and like was like the top, the halter, if you will. That's what it made me think of immediately. And that generated so much like media controversy that she always had to address in interviews and stuff that like, wasn't that itself an albatross around her neck? Mm-hmm. The swan dress around her neck was an albatross around her neck. I'm snapping because of how Thank on you. point that was. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That And that's that's how good I am at literary yeah. analysis you or really... York analysis. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the story gets really weird. So I do want to talk about it. Uh, basically, so they're mad at this guy. They make him wear a dead bird. 
Then the spirit of death comes on a death ship and punishes all the sailors by having them slowly die one by one, but punishes the bird murderer even more by making him undead and have to watch all his crewmates die and their corpses rot. This story goes from zero to 100 really fast. Yeah, it does. Uh, And then the bird murderer is just like languishing on the ship and he has a change of heart and he's like staring into the ocean going like, I love all the animals in the sea. And then the spirits are like, oh, see, you learned your lesson. And all we had to do was kill everyone on your ship. So then the wind spirits like guide the ship back to uh, shore. uh, And then like a big whirlpool eats the whole ship and all the undead. uh, Oh, wait, I forgot. The spirits do inhabit the rotting bodies of all of his crewmates, brings them back alive enough so that they can man the ship and get it back to shore, which is, I guess, nice of them. But then... Only the mariner, the the bird murder guy, like escapes the ship as it's getting sucked into a whirlpool, and then he gets saved by a couple of fishers. And then he his punishment is like he has to spend eternity wandering the earth, uh, telling his bird murder story and how it's wrong to murder birds. Don't do it, or no. else all your friends will get turned into zombies and then sucked into a whirlpool. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That escalated so quickly. I know. It was like, also, what is with, like, why would they punish all of the other sailors? Like, they killed them all. I mean, I guess he's, like, eternally damned or something is his punishment. He's got to tell this bird story. Oh, and also, he's telling the story at someone's wedding, I think. And oh, that's God. like. Yeah, so he's like, this old, like, creepy sailor guy comes to your wedding. He's like, I'm actually a bird murderer and I'm a zombie. (laughs) He's just bad vibes. I actually murdered a bird and now I'm a zombie doomed to patrol the land and tell everybody about my story about how I murdered a bird. He's like that guy you start talking to, not realizing you're about to be in a conversation with him for two hours. And you're like, oh, my God, wrap it up. Yeah, I had that at a cafe where someone came up to me and started crying about how like he met Katy Perry and like how she needs to take better care of her skin. And while I think that conversation was only two minutes, it certainly felt like two hours. Well, those are some thoughts that you really have to know what's going on to like engage with like what her skin. Right. No. And he was like full on like sobbing and about it. And I didn't it's complete stranger. And like just sat at my table and was like, like, I, I just came back from a party with Katy Perry and like this girl, like she needs to take better care of herself. And it's like, I don't think he was lying, but I do think it was because like, you know, we live in L.A. Anything's possible. But yeah. I was scared of what was happening because I it's like I I don't I don't know Katy Perry. Maybe talk to her about this. I'm not a dermatologist either. Please, <laughs> sir. But you're may so I enjoy... concerned now for her skin. May I... Yeah, like, may I enjoy my lentil soup in peace, sir? Mm-mm. No? All right. I guess we're having this conversation then. This is great. That's Love like it. such a before time story. <laughs> that would never happen today. No one's right. allowed near anyone anymore. Someone took too many drugs at Katy Perry's party, got really weepy and decided to approach a stranger about Katy Perry's uh, need to do better skincare regimen. Yeah, it's great. I feel for her. Anyways, that's the modern, uh, mar- uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner tale, I guess. I should write a 30-page poem about that. 
But albatrosses, this is an animal show. Let's talk about the real life albatrosses and what they are. So what is an albatross? Is it just like a really big seagull? Uh, no. Oh. It's not. There you go. Answer solved. Okay. Podcast over. No, I'm kidding. So albatrosses are a family of some of the largest seabirds and one of the best terrestrial flyers in the world. Uh, so despite their amazing flying abilities and similar look to a seagull, albatrosses are more closely related to penguins than oh. to seagulls, which is, again, another like kind of bonkers like evolutionary thing. We looked at the flying squirrel and the sugar glider and Kalugo, and it's like these are not at all related. Well, yeah, the the albatross is more closely related to a little waddling penguin than it is to a seagull. Wow, I'm uh, actually, while I'm looking sorry. up the photos to compare. They definitely have they have like the penguin face, but they have the yes. seagull beak. It's strange, right? Because penguins are not good flyers because they can't fly at all. They're mm -hmm. zero flyers. Uh, but they have adapted to become very efficient swimmers, whereas albatrosses adapted to become the world's most efficient flyers. So it's just kind mm -hmm. of incredible the the twists and turns that evolution can take. Yeah, wow. So there oh. are somewhere between 13 to 24 species of albatross. Uh, the reason this number is variable is that there are disagreements on some of the taxonomy, uh, like whether... There's like a species that's actually two species or if it's one species or if it's truly an albatross, like blah, blah, blah. You know, I I'm not going to get into it because I'm if I like try to weigh in on the controversy, the albatross controversy, I'm going to get like some very angry letters from like albatross experts. Like, oh, no, <laughs> don't at us about this. We're just two little ladies trying to I figure it out. I can't get attacked by albatross Twitter. No, I'll be ruined. So the largest albatross and one of the largest birds in the world are the wanderer albatrosses and the southern royal albatross species, who they both live around the southern oceans, and they have the largest wingspan in the world of up to 11 feet or 3.5 meters. That's too big. They are taller. Like if when they stand wing to wing, uh, they're taller than basically every human, except for maybe a few outliers. Um, yeah. Are they taller than Shaq? Yes. Is it? Well, I mean, Shaq's not 11 feet tall, right? I don't know anymore, Katie. This is this is just so wild. They're so big. Um, I'm Googling it. No, I don't, my, I don't think he's 11 feet tall. <laughs> next to my Google search of hummingbird hat is Shaquille O'Neal. He is a mere seven feet, one inch mm. tall. <laughs> What a shrimp. He's a small guy. And, and I actually shared an image with you, Anna. And oh, I see. I'll, I'll share it with the listeners as well. It's a full-grown human being standing next to one of these birds. I don't and like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, they're dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. I forgot. They're dinosaurs. That bird is way too big. Yeah. So how, what do they look like? They tend to be white with uh, pink or yellow long beats with a downward curve at the end. And they can have gray, brown, and yellow markings. So their wings are often dark gray. Uh, and they have what looks like black eyeliner sometimes. Mm -hmm. Very, very uh, Mabeline. Maybe it's birds. Maybe it's 
Maybe but it's line. also like a bit of a smoky eye. It's really yes. cute. It's very good. I can't. What I wouldn't give to be able to do my eyes like albatrosses do their eyes. It's, it's mm. very good. It's very on point. You wish you could have such great makeup eye makeup. I know. I wish I could have bird eyes, mm-hmm. eyes sexy eyes like a bird. Mm. <sighs> so speaking of sexy eyes, albatrosses mate for life and are very loving. So like I mentioned at the top of the episode, they're kind of... Like hummingbirds are little jerk asses when it comes to mating. They they fight, uh, they compete with other males, and they like joust, and it's kind of scary. Albatrosses are sweethearts. They're romantic. Hmm. They uh, select a mate by dancing with them, oh. and basically, it's just like a bunch of albatrosses all gathered together on an island, and they they dance with a bunch of different partners, and like. The part like all on the dance floor and then partners keep dropping off and separating until they're left with the one partner that they choose and they dance together and they will mate for life. So they uh, throughout their uh, courtship and throughout their life, they will continue to dance together and do little uh, move like little gestures of affection, like beak bumps and nuzzles to maintain their relationship. So it's adorable. They'll like it like like beak to beak and like kind of tap their beaks together lovingly it's so cute they even come up with their own little love language between the two of them they have unique calls they only use with their partners they basically come up with like loving names for each other and and unique calls that they use with each other and the only time they seek out a new partner is if one of them sadly dies like they they're in it for the long haul, ride or die, ride or die, baby. Ride or die. And uh, yeah, I mean, they do sometimes die. So then it's like, yeah. well, I guess we don't ride if you're dead. But, you know, ride or die. It's really important for them to have this monogamous lifestyle because of the way they raise their chicks. So they they have one chick at a time and it's adorable little fluff ball. Uh, and they will stay with the chick to guard it. So one of the parents has to stay and guard this chick because it's helpless and it would be a delicious little nugget for a predator. So one parent stays behind to protect their nest. Uh, They will do everything they can to fend off predators while the other parent will be out at sea fishing and they will collect a bunch of fish so that they can come home and they, they eat the fish. And what they do is they regurgitate special fish vomit uh, for their chick to eat when they get back. So the birds are totally reliant on each other to remain faithful. So the bird awaiting will go without food, sometimes for days or weeks with their chick, and is just relying on their partner to come back. And the partner out at sea has to rely on the partner to stay with the chick uh, and and keep it safe. So they alternate too. Like sometimes the, the male will go out for fishing, sometimes the female will go out. So I love yeah, that. I love the equality in the household. Right. It's a lot of trust, too. A lot of trust. And in addition to be adorable spouses and adorably loving parents, they are the world's most efficient flyers. So albatrosses can rack up a massive number of frequent flyer miles. Uh, the wandering albatross, that uncomfortably large one we talked about earlier, uh, can fly Several million miles in a lifetime. Okay. 
bird flight, like not even on an airplane. They're not like getting on Delta. You know what I mean? I mean, they should. Do you know how many miles they'd have racked (laughs) up if they did? Dude. They'd be flying for free for the rest of their lives. Free vacations for the rest of their lives. It's a shame that Delta doesn't count bird miles. Mm. Their resting heart rate while flying is the same as when they're floating on water. They're able to exert very little effort and glide on strong winds. MIT researchers have found that the birds use roller coaster-like arcs of flight to ride wind currents called dynamic soaring. So basically, they use physics of these wind currents above the sea to uh, glide and ride on them. So they'll like go down and build up momentum and go up a wind current and go down. Whoops, I bumped my microphone. But I guess if I was an albatross flying, I would bonk into my microphone like that. Anyways... Um, yeah, so they totally take advantage of the physics of air currents above the ocean, and they are able to just kind of like glide like an airplane. They, so like from the, they're like the total opposites of the hummingbirds, both in courtship behavior and also like their, uh, their, their flight where albatrosses are in it for like the long, long gliding and, uh, hummingbirds are just sort of very, very fast. Fast and YOLO birds, and these are very responsible birds that just want to settle down. Did you say yellow or YOLO? YOLO birds. Uh, the hummingbirds are like YOLO. You only oh, live once. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought you said, but then I was like, there's no way she said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, because they like YOLO. They, they live fast. They have shorter lifespans. They have really fast metabolism. They got to. They got to get from one flower to another. They they do not mate for life. They they yeah live very fast and furious lifestyles. Whereas Ew. the albatross has a very long lifespan and they take stuff more slowly. They kind of live more the Margaritaville lifestyle. Uh, like oh, and speaking of albatross lifespans, guess uh, how old the oldest albatross in the world is? Ooh, they're flying a million miles. Let's see. 30. She is 70 years old. Oh, my God. And she looks fantastic. I've sh- given you a picture of her. Her name is Wisdom, the albatross. <gasps> and she is at the very least 70 years old, still rocking amazing, amazing smoky eye. Yeah. And so she lives in Kapa'a, Hawaii, and she is not only the oldest albatross She's the oldest known wild bird. So while uh, you may think like, well, there are parrots that have potentially lived longer, the birds that have lived longer have been in captivity. So she's a completely wild bird and she's lived this long, which is amazing. And it's harder to live that long in the wild. Um, She's had over 40 chicks in her lifetime. And while that like may not seem like a lot, they have one chick at a time. It's like a human being having 40 children in a lifetime. No, I think that's a lot. 40 kids? Mm -mm. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, so uh, she's uh, actually outlived several of her mates. Uh, She (laughs) never divorced. She's never been divorced. She's just like a forever widower. (laughs) A black widower, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, like she's had successful relationships. Um, but but yeah, it's, she's... 
are their deaths explained or have they all just mysteriously <laughs> disappeared? He's got beak marks in his back, ma'am. Well, I wouldn't know where that came from. How interesting. Strange. Police officer, you know I couldn't possibly be involved. Have I mentioned hours. how beautiful your feathers are, Mr. <laughs> Police Officer Bird? Oh, well, that's awfully kind of you. How would you like to be Mrs. 70-year-old albatross lady? Or, sorry, Mr. 70-year-old albatross lady. <laughs> her beak is, you can see her beak has some wear and tear, though. Like, that's yes. the beak of a 70-year-old bird. That's what I found really interesting. Her feathers look impeccable, mm -hmm. <laughs> pun intended. But her beak does look marred and like old because I wonder if like the feathers, you know, they they, they molt. They probably have, they regenerate feathers probably more often than they regenerate like uh, that that beak, uh, yeah. hard beak material. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely like that is the beak of a seventy year old bird, a hard smoking whiskey mm -hmm. drinking seventy year old bird. That bird smokes for sure. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Sweetie, let me tell you about the time. Mm -hmm. My my fourth husband. <laughs> oh, he, I loved him so much. His name was Marty. Oh my well, God. he got eaten by a shark. You know <laughs> how it is. I told him, told him, Marty, you can't wear that bathing suit. That looks like a bunch of hot dogs or a shark's going to eat you. <laughs> oh and a shark God. did eat him. But God bless him. He was God one of my better Marty. husbands. That's 100%. If that bird talks, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> She's like, a little after my, you know, 34th child, you know, I decided I was going to, you know, get a new man. <laughs> well, you know, my 35th child went to art school. I told him he should be a lawyer, but he went to art school. Nobody listens to me. They just said, I'm, they just said, don't listen to that old bird. <laughs> and now here I am. I'm the smartest bird alive. Look at my eye makeup. Amazing. She's beautiful. And she's also like, it's weird because she's outlived some of her, the scientists who have studied her, which is, uh, I yeah. mean, kind of uh, mind boggling, I guess. Like what the scientist who banded her originally, uh, which means like putting a leg band on them so they can be identified, right. uh, actually died uh, before this bird has. So, Look, if I was yeah. going to be a bird. That's how I would do it. I would outlive every scientist who tried to study yeah. me. I had a bird watcher, and I, that bird watcher thought he could outlive me. No way. Mm. Listen, I, I smoke five packs a day, and I'm still kicking. Just drinking martinis. <laughs> Sangrias oh. and martinis. Yeah. Oh, I love her. Yeah, good for her. She's amazing. Good for her. Exactly. Good for her. Live her best Prolific. life. For outliving humans. Good yeah. for her. She'll outlive yeah. us. Probably. We'll see. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, I hope she is like a 200-year-old bird. Just I'd be wild. Rocking, rocking it. How old's the bird that's like after her? Like, is there like a large gap? Like, who's the second oldest albatross? Oldest, um, second oldest albatross. <laughs> I'm Safe search off. Second oldest albatross. Nine oldest birds in the world from oldest.org for all your needs about old things. Good. Let's see. Oh, so, okay. I'll just like, let's end the episode by going through this list of oldest birds, shall okay, we? Okay. From oldest.org. As you do, yes. 
I'll put uh cue, cue some cue some uh dramatic music over this. Uh so in Chile, uh the oldest flamingo is believed to be in uh her her 60s. Wow. Flamingo in her 60s. Now that is like really like a retired woman a flamingo. Yeah, she still looks gorgeous. Uh, of course they list wisdom here. Mm. Um now wait a minute. Oh, I see. So the one of the oldest birds in the world is actually a, a captive bird uh, in Beardsley Zoo in Connecticut. Uh, he is a male Andean condor who is 80 years old or was. Oh. No, wait, he was 80 years old in 2010. I don't know oh. if he's still alive, but that is respectable. Now, he does look 80 years old, I got to say. Hang wow. On, now, this. has he met wisdom? You can't ma- you can't play matchmaker with mm. these birds. You're Anna. right. No, you're right. Just because they both... would be perfect together. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe wisdom's into like like young guys. You know what I mean? Young birds. Let's see. A real a real cougar. Oh my god, he's so handsome. He is. I like his little puffy white neck mm-hmm. ruff. I think that really brings another level to his style you know what I, I actually agree with you now i do think that he and wisdom share okay. a similar aesthetic yeah let's let's try and get them uh get them to meet i mean he may disappear yeah Ugh. there's another flamingo at a zoo who is at least 83 years old wow flamingos live a long time a long dang time i didn't realize yeah, i didn't know that at all a cockatoo at a, a zoo, a Brookfield Zoo named Cookie the Cockatoo, lived to be 83 years old. And a female green wing macaw named Poncho at Beck's Pets and Exotics uh, is or was 92 years old in 2018. Wait, this bird just lived in a store and no one would buy him? I. Why would you put that thought in my head? Anna? That's I'm sorry, so sad. I don't know. I just. I or like maybe he was think, the sto- the pet store's pet. I think he was pet. the. I think he was the pet store's pet. Okay, there you go. He's fine. He's living a great life. Oh my God, Fred, the cockatoo, uh, the male sulfur crusted cockatoo at Bonarong Wildlife Sanctuary, was a hundred and three years old in twenty eighteen. Oh my God, Charlie, the female blue and yellow macaw caw of uh, the Healthfield Nurseries in Surrey, England was 114 years in 2014. Okay, that's that's old. That's an old bird. Cocky Bennett, he's a male sulfur-crested cockatoo owned by some Australian guy in 1916, was 120 years old Ooh. when it died. Just owned by some Australian guy. I have guy. to show you this ancient goddamn bird. It's definitely looks old, like very old. <gasps> That bird's not alive. <laughs> Sadly, I think it is. Oh, my gosh. It looks like it's like put me out of my misery. I know. I feel sorry for this bird because it looks like the tip of its beak is really long, which it should be You like it, the tips of their beak, I guess, keep growing and you should have something hard for them to chew on. So it files it down, but it's just grown into this like really long protrusion. Yeah, it's oh, got like Prince bird. Philip vibes, you know, where we were all like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Cocky Bennett. Oh, Sorry, man. Cocky Bennett, but you look a little old. He looks 
slightly like a plucked turkey. Oh. I don't mean to roast this very old like bird, but I can't help it. You're roasting the bird. I'm roasting the bird. A well, I think that's where we'll end it today with me being super mean to like <laughs> a birds. geriatric bird. Ugh, what are you gonna do? Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and discovering all the wonders of flight with me. Uh, you, you got anything to plug? Uh, I mean, yeah, you could uh, check out my bird diaries. Just kidding. I would never. <laughs> uh, I have a podcast called Ethnically Ambiguous on the iHeart Network. Um, you can check that out. It's all about being a person of color in America. We interview a lot of great creators. Um, also, yeah, I produce a bunch of podcasts. Uh, like Daily Zeitgeist, Las Culturistas, This Is Important. Just, you know, out here producing up a storm. So, uh, and then I also uh, co-host a Twitch stream every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. PST called Below, or it's called Deckheads Chief Stews about the Below Deck Bravo series. And we also talk about other Bravo shows and we talk a little about the F1 Netflix series. Uh, and I host that with Molly Lambert. If you want to check that out, please check it out. Uh, But you can also follow me at Anna Hosnier, A-N-N-A-H-O-S-S-N-I-E-H, if you just want to keep up with what I'm up to and see what else I'm, you know, producing and putting out. And uh, yeah, so you can follow me and check out that stuff. Check out all that stuff. You can find the podcast on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. Uh, you can also, if you want to ask me questions, send me an email at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. I try to answer everyone's questions. Uh, there might be a slight lag between when you send it and when I answer it, but don't worry. I really do try to get to everyone's question. And uh, sometimes I will read it aloud on the show if I feel like I can get a good podcast out of it. So thank you so much for sending those in. And if you're enjoying the show and you leave a rating and review, I will love you forever. It uh, warms my heart whenever I read a review. And it also, between you and me, it's good for the algorithm. I'm just oh, going to say yeah. that. It's not It's not that I don't appreciate it from like, like, hey, like this warms my heart. And it makes me personally feel good. But also from an algorithmic point of view, it's also really good. So just keep that in mind, too. Uh, thanks to the Space Causes for their super awesome song, Ex Illumina, Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge you. See you next Wednesday. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.